Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. This message will take a look at the end times through the eyes of New Testament prophets and Jesus as we ask the question, is time up? Enjoy the message. We are going to look at what, what is the lead up to the end. Now, two years ago, we went through the entire book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation is a detailed book of predictive prophecy uh, that prepares followers of Christ uh, to know the signs of the times. Uh, it, it is a very descriptive uh, book on how the world will end. We went through the entirety of that book. That, book, that series can be found at Kenosha.church or on our app. Um, and little, so we did this series and we prayed a lot over it two years ago. It was in the backdrop of coming out of COVID. It was on the backdrop of coming uh, off riots, even here in Kenosha. It was on the backdrop of uh, coming off a very uh, a pivotal election. And people were asking the question, is this the end? And I didn't want to lean into that just to be uh, sensational. Uh, rather, when people are asking questions, that is a precise, uh, appropriate uh, response to go into Scripture. What does the Bible have to say about what you're asking? And that's exactly what we should be doing in any and all subjects. Now, just because it's a headline in a newspaper doesn't mean we're going to switch up our sermon series. We believe that a good, healthy diet from Scripture is going to inform you of how uh, to take in what's going on in this world. Now, little, little did we know that we, when we launched the Revelation series, it was called Are You Ready? Uh, a study in Revelation. Just four days later, the Ukraine and Russian war broke out just four days later. So it really made for an interesting Revelation series. But you fast forward now, two years later, not only is that war continuing, but war has spread now to the Middle East and Russia, uh, Middle East and Israel, excuse me. And that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And so again, it puts people on the edge of their seat. Are we marching ourselves towards the end of time? Revelation, we are not going to retread Revelation, all right? We have that. You can, you can listen to that uh, online. But did you know that Revelation isn't the only place in Scripture that deals with the end of time, the second coming of Christ? In fact, when you read through the, the totality of Scripture, when you read from the beginning to the end, you'll see that littered throughout most of the writings uh, is the idea of preparing us for the end, and so that's precisely what this series is. Yes, a follow-up to our Revelation series from a couple years ago, but if you weren't there from a couple years ago, this is going to be fresh. Is that Scripture speaks of the end and how we're to prepare throughout the entirety of Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at in this series. How is the world going to end from the perspective of the Old Testament prophets, from the perspective of Jesus, and from the perspective of the New Testament writers into the addition of Revelation? The Bible is constantly looking forward and Again, throughout the entirety of these passages, they deal with clarity how the time will come to a close. And it's important that we know what the Bible says about that so that we avoid false and fringe teaching that is permeating even the church today. In fact, Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, he said this, watch out, remember watch out, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Sometimes we hear fringe theologies. I'm like, oh, that's just silly. Who would believe in that? Some people do. Sometimes very, what you'd say otherwise, smart people fall for deception. Verse 6, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. 
so that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Jesus goes on in Matthew 24, 36. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. What we can understand just from this passage that Jesus is speaking, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming, church. Does that excite you? That Jesus is coming back. And he could come at any time. He could come right now. We might not even end this service and whoop, Jesus comes back. How would you be ready, right? But Jesus is clear. You will sense when things seem off. You will sense when the, something is off in the world and there's been ebbs and flows through history. But one thing is certain is the ebbs and flows lead you closer to the end of the time. These calamities Jesus calls labor pains. You're able to see the signs, he says, but Jesus wants to make equally clear as you begin to see the signs of the times, you don't know when exactly he's coming. If you knew exactly when he was coming, I'm sure that you'd take a few days off and then say, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna get busy, right? He wants us to always be busy with kingdom work. And in the last four years, let's just go from 2020, it's been worldwide nuts, bonafide crazy, right? Can we admit that? And just when we think things are returning to normal, it does it again. It's been a lot of false and just plain weird teachings uh, in some of the areas of the church, and it's rampant online. False teaching that is entering in even minds of believers that no one would have thought possible. People are naming dates. People are going back to Jewish standards, both things that Scripture tells us not to do. People are structuring their churches with weird and conspiratorial speculations of the Old Testament, New Testament. And it's moved people who should be on the offense with the gospel, moving in a culture, even if it's getting dark, moving forward. It's taken that and moved people from hiding, speculating, wondering, when is Jesus coming back? Come, come to the holy huddle. Come to our strong tower. Let's huddle down and wait for Jesus to come back. And oh, he is not pleased when we do that. He wants us to be on the offensive with the gospel. Because no matter how dark it gets in culture, the brighter the light Christ's gospel will be. Outside the church world, the worldwide crazies hit the church, but it's also hit the outside church world. Non-believers aren't moving closer to the church. They are doubling down on their agnosticism. They're doubling down on their atheism. They're doubling down on, on their spiritualism that is devoid of Christ. Church, we need to be that bright, shining light. And that's why we're doing this series. In this series... We're going to look how to be prepared for in this life, for action, and be ready and prepared to stand before God in all eternity when he comes back. Again, we're going to let this, where this is an introductory message today, uh, and we're going to let it breathe a little bit. We're going to continue this next week, but here are the topics we're going to address between now 
in Easter, all right? Between now and Easter. Next week, we're going to talk about how to prepare for the end. How do you prepare for the end? Uh, we're going to unpack even further things we introduced today, all right? Followed by, the gospel is still the answer. We're going to ask one week, who is the Antichrist? Some of you are like, well, that just seems like speculation. No, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about the Antichrist. And more importantly, what is an Antichrist type of behavior that we can even exhibit in our own lives? We're going to talk about the coming great persecution, poison in the water, our culture at a crossroads. On Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about the king is coming. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about fulfilled and Finished, all right? This is the direction we're going between now and Easter. Now, here are the goals of this. The goals of this isn't to further our speculation, to make dinner for the next uh, month and a half really interesting with, with a, a tidbit that we learned. Yes, that could be true. I want you to be equipped and prepared. I want you to be somebody who might be hiding and waiting for Jesus to come back to go and walk in boldness and confidence with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here is the goal of the series, to prepare you for the last days. How often do you think about Jesus coming back? Well, we want you to be prepared for the last days. Secondly, protect you from false teaching. I can't underscore this enough. False teaching usually doesn't come uh, just in the blatantly weird and obvious. It comes in the subtle. It comes with singing the songs that you might know and opening a familiar Bible, but twisting the word, taking it directions away from God's intention. We're going to protect you from false teaching. A lot of false teaching is based on really odd and strange views of, of the end times. Number three, proclaim the gospel with confidence. That's the goal of this series, that you, you'll learn how to proclaim the gospel with confidence. Number four, provide evidence, uh, evidences to the promises that you can claim in the waiting. Provide evidences to the promises you can claim in the waiting. And finally, number five, present practical advice for your faithful living. Present practical advice for everyday faithful living, all right? So let's get right into it. Let's get into today's topic, is time up, all right? We're living in worldwide crazy. It's an election year. I'm not going to get political in this message, but I'm just saying it's an election year, which means it's already gotten crazy, all right? Here in America, at least anyway, but we're looking around the, the world and the wars and all the... It's not getting calmer any moment. And so, again, people have asked me constantly, is time up? So let's talk about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is where we'll be at today. So I invite you to be there in your Bibles or, your, or the Kenosha City Church app, if you haven't downloaded that. And I encourage you to take notes. Not a chance you're going to remember uh, what I'm going to say and all of what we're going to do. And so I encourage you to take notes. And of course, we'll unpack these in our city groups as well. What a good time for you to jump into a city group if you haven't yet already. All right, now, have you ever missed something? Have you ever missed something? Uh, uh, maybe it was a deadline. All right. Uh, maybe it was an, an important meeting. Have you ever missed an important meeting? Or maybe you totally forgot, oh boy, you're a birthday or an anniversary. Guys, have you ever forgotten an anniversary? You're not going to admit it, are you? All right, so that'd be bad. I had someone come to me. I missed my anniversary. I'm like, well, I'll see you next week in marital counseling. So anyway, I'll admit that Allison and I, we're polar opposite when it comes to time. I've mentioned this time and time again. Allison, if she is not somewhere super early, if you get there just on time, you're late. You got to get there super early. For me, I get nervous if I'm even on time. If I'm the first one in the room, I, I, get, I get really, it's a phobia, I guess, all right? So some of you are like, that's why you, you come into church for the first time. No, that's not why. All right, so, but just uh, yesterday, 
two days ago. We were celebrating a family birthday. And uh, I had it timed down. We were going to get there on time. So, uh, of course, Allison's being really, really early. So she has the family all in the van uh, about five minutes earlier than we need to. And, it and then Allison went to the house for like a box or something. And it dawned on me, you know, while Allison's in the house getting the box, I have an idea. I'm going to multitask. I I'm going to, I didn't even close the van door. I'm going to pull down my Christmas lights off the house. All right. So literally, I am pulling down the Christmas lights off my house, and I'm like, I'm on a roll. I'm going to get the whole house done. This is great. And as I'm getting to, this, to the other side of the house, I hear the van just honking. Honk, honk, honk. I'm like, I guess that's my call. I better stop taking down the Christmas lights. I get in the car, and I was like, Eddie, what are you doing? We're going to be late to the birthday party. I'm being efficient, honey. No, you're being late, all right? So we are very polar opposite when it comes to time, but I'll tell you where I'm not. I am not, uh, I am not late when it comes to airfare, all right, to when you're flying. If you've ever been on a mission trip with me, I want to be at that airport at least two hours, sometimes three hours before the flight just to make sure that there's not anything going on. I even have TSA pre-check. I can get through in 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. I don't want to miss that flight. I've had Amazon trucks flip over to all the boxes on the highway, and I'm stuck in traffic. I'm like, that's okay. We have enough time because I, I, I put in enough time to where if trucks flip over on the highway, we can still make our flight, all right? Well, there was one flight we were going over to Italy to meet our uh, international partner, Stefano Longo. He's one of our, our partners here at Kenosha City Church. And we made our flight fine to our layover in London Heathrow. But when you get over to London Heathrow, you're a little tired. It's called jet lag. And so I turned over to Allison. I said, hey, Allison, um, who's on this mission trip at the time? I said, Allison, I am going to just take a little nap. All right, is that cool? She's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm sure. So I knew that we had five hours to get to our next flight. So I took a nap and I slept hard. You know what I'm talking about? When you sleep hard, you go on the nap, you wake up and you have no clue you're at. You're like, where am I, right? I'm like, Allison, where am I? I just woke up. He goes, Andy, you're in London. I'm not in Kenosha. No, you're in London, all right? That was that type of how hard I started sleeping. But something immediately caught my attention when I woke up. The once busy terminal was dead. And I realized, uh oh, something's wrong here. Did I miscalculate? Did I mislook at a sign? So I went up to the ticket agent and I said, hey, um, I can't find our flight anywhere. And they said, yeah, it's because uh, the flight took off. And I'm like, what do you mean it took off? It's like the door is closed. And when the door is closed, nobody can get in there. And I pled with the ticket agent. I'm like, let us in. You can't get in. Let us in. You can't get in. And you know what they ended up doing? They were nice and they got us on a different flight. And as I got on that other flight, I realized, I just began to reminisce what happened. I'm like, oh my goodness, I missed a flight. And I had to beg for another flight. And then I realized, you know what? This reminds me of a scripture. It reminds me of a scripture. It's, it's when the door is closed. It's, it's the parable of the virgins. And like, please, let us in, let us in, let us in. But when the door is closed, it is closed. When time ends, you have no extra time to get right with God. Whether that's when you pass on in this life or Christ comes back in your life, which could be at any moment, you need to make sure you are right with God. So back to the question, is time up? Well, we don't know the day or time, but we know this world is unraveling at a rapid rate, and we do know that we have limited time. Listen to this, Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one, let the, the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. 
Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. That's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah the prophet is saying, if, there, if you're alive, there's still time. But don't assume there will be more time. Right now, make sure that you are right with God. He's pleading with you, you and I. Call upon the Lord. Abandon any wicked ways that may be in our hearts. Why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment. And there's a 100% chance if Jesus Christ doesn't come back in our lifetime that we will die. And for every single one of us, it's appointed once for a person to die, and then we stand before God. And the question is then, will you be right with him? Oh, I'll tell you what God won't care about when you're standing before him. How much is in your 401k? He won't care about that. Uh, he, he won't care about what, what is still in your bucket list. He's not going to care about uh, if you made all your goals or you're the best version yourself. I'm not saying that God doesn't grace you with a good 401k or God doesn't grace you with, with good experiences that you call your bucket list. But these are not going to be the sum total of what God is going to judge you if you should go into heaven or not. What God is going to look at is this. Were you made right with God? And how are you made right with God? By placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That he died on the cross to save you from your sins. That he rose from the dead. That you have placed your full faith and trust in Jesus. Asking him for forgiveness. Have you personally asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness? Have you personally asked Jesus Christ to be your savior? Because nothing else, no work, uh, no goals, no 401k is going to get you into heaven. And yet, many of us live in this life like we think those things ultimately matter. Oh, yes, they matter, but they don't ultimately matter. What matters is this, what's in your bank account or not in your bank account, is do you know Jesus? Too many of us are looking at the wrong scoreboard and celebrating the wrong wins. Taking even good things and making them an idol's. You can make your job into an idol. Jobs are good. You can make your hobbies into an idol. Hobbies are good. You can make football an idol, right? You can, you, you can even make the way that you want church into an idol. You can even make your family an idol. Anything you place above God and importance becomes a small g God. You, you might not call it God, but you treat it like it's God, and it is no God. Many people are asleep. They're distracted in the church and, oh yes, outside the church. Why? Because we are faced with distractions all day long to get our attention. People are paying millions and billions of dollars for your attention. Social media, for instance, TikTok. Let's use TikTok. I'm going to pick on TikTok because it's changing the landscape of what people believe is true. With an average length of, 20, length of 20 to 50 seconds, people are getting a 20 to 50 second indoctrination of science, of sexuality, of diet fads, of finances, and even religion. Never mind if it's true or not. Never mind if there's anything about it that, that, that is noteworthy. That's not what matters with social media. Now, again, I'm not saying delete all your social media. I'm saying use it carefully. And for some of you, it might mean deleting it. But influencers, these are the people that look very perfect on social media who are not. They want your clicks. 
Because the more clicks means the more monetization, the more advertising they get. Which means this. They want your clicks whether what they're saying is true or not. Short-term gains equals monetary gains for the influencers that are after your heart. Let's put this in perspective. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Today, a 30-second ad that you will watch at the Super Bowl will cost you seven, not you, will cost the advertiser $7 million. $7 million for a 30-second spot. Seems like a lot, doesn't it? Let's go back to TikTok, though, for instance. You know how much TikTok is going to make on advertisement this year? For all the clicks, TikTok is going to make $17 billion. Now, let's put this into further perspective. $17 billion is almost more than all the ad revenue in cable one year combined. All the channels of cable combined are being eclipsed by one social media channel called TikTok. Because they want your heart. And what's happening is this. Is that people are being indoctrinated by 20 to 50 second spots. And it's only getting worse, all right? I'm not against technology. Uh, I, 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 love, I love the iPhone, all right? But here's the deal. I don't, has anybody seen the Apple Vision, right? The little goggles. You literally see people doing this, you know? They're, walk, they're walking around outside like this. Okay, we're totally distracting ourselves from reality. And again, I'm not against technology, but technology is to help you, not rule you. And 99% of the time, we find it ruling us and distracting us. Speaking of how social media is even affecting Christians, here's an article from Vox, not Fox, Vox, V-O-X, very not Christian at all, Okay. Hardly a Christian news source. This is what they said. Algorithms are surfacing content that combines Christian ideas like prosperity gospel, that's not a Christian idea, by the way, with new age and non-Western spirituality. So Christian ideas of prosperity gospel uh, and then new age and non-Western philosophy. Oh, I'm seeing this already. Oh, let me just heal. He gives off bad vibes. Let me just read your aura, right? Like, let me get the crystals, right? That's not biblical, all right? But yet there are people today that are claiming uh, to even be prophetic or they're claiming to be biblical, but yet they are espousing things that are completely contrary to Scripture. How and why? 20 to 50 second indoctrinations are happening. Now, we're not going to be surprised, right? First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I've read this a number of times the last four years. Uh, Paul warning his apprentice Timothy. He said this, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure than lover, instead of lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So we are facing a culture that the ideas of Scripture are not instantly palatable. But when people unpack Scripture, I want you to know, even though it's not instantly palatable and reconcilable to culture, I want you to know when people are going to get burnt out up to culture, they're going to get burnt out of what's going on, and the Word is not going to return void. It is life. So, 
Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? That's a personal question. Are you ready? Or have you told Jesus, yeah, I'm ready, but in your heart, I've even heard well-meaning Christians say this, I just, can you just delay it a little bit, Jesus? I have some milestones I want, right? I, I'm about ready to retire, all right? And I want to travel in my RV a little bit. Listen, I love RVs, okay? Don't, again, this, none of this is bad, right? But, 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 but Jesus, will you just, I, I just want to drive to Alaska, okay? And when I go to Alaska, then you come back up there, actually, all right? Is that cool? It's not some of you. Some of you are like, I just, God, I just want to get married. Or God, I just want to have kids. Or God, I just want to go to Disney World, right? Will you just delay? Until I go to it's a small world, then you can come for the whole world, Okay? If the hope of Jesus is not on our horizon, if we're not trusting our future to him, then the quality of our faith today will diminish. In fact, let me just put this up here. As we're getting prepared for the second coming, uh, here's the main idea today. You won't live by faith today if you don't have hope for tomorrow. You won't live by faith today if you don't have hope for tomorrow. And what I want you to know is this, is that the hope of tomorrow is this, is that Jesus Christ is coming back. If we're not thinking about the second coming and the ramifications of how we're to live in response to that, we are not living in full faith today. Would we agree to that? We, our faith today is going to be in proportion to our hope for tomorrow. You won't live by faith today if you don't have hope for tomorrow. So we're going to look at three things and how that we can have hope for tomorrow. Uh, the first thing is this, is that we're going to, we need to grieve well. Secondly, we need to keep looking ahead. And third, we need to comfort others. Now the Bible has a lot to say about having hope for tomorrow. And again, we're going to be in the, the first Thessalonians. Uh, and because the Thessalonians... Even though they had faith and they were moving ministry forward, they were at risk of that faith diminishing because of some worries that they had. Now, 1 Thessalonians uh, was the earliest letter written to a, a church by the Apostle Paul. And interestingly enough, what we're going to see in this first letter includes end times passages. The end was important to the New Testament writers. God inspired the New Testament writers to talk about the end times because they realized if we didn't know the end of the story, we would get discouraged in the present. Now, Thessalonica was a large port city in modern-day Greece on the Aegean Sea. Uh, the size of Thessalonica would be about the size of Kenosha and Racine combined, about 200,000 people. And pagan worship was common, uh, as well as emperor worship to Caesar. According to Acts 17, Paul arrived in Thessalonica and as custom, went to the Jewish synagogue, uh, and he reasoned there a number of times. Uh, when he reasoned with the people with the scriptures, prayed with them, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit showing up, a number of Jewish people, and including uh, non-religious people, gave their life to Jesus. But not everybody. What we see in Acts 17 is a riot erupted by those who didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And they, and they captured some of the new Christians. But ironically, some of these very new Christians wanted to make sure that Paul was not going to be captured, so they let him escape in the night. And Paul escaped in the night, and you could just imagine just the anxiety he had. This brand new church that was planted instantly of these new believers in instant persecution, and now he left, and he's wondering, how are these people doing? So later on, he sends Timothy, his apprentice, uh, into to Thessalonica to see how they're doing. 
and he reports they are doing amazing. Their faith is growing. Uh, they, are, they, they are facing an immense persecution, though. And so Paul, and then he begins to relay some of the thoughts that they had. And one of the thoughts they had is some false teachers that had already come in. False teachers love to come in and mess with new Christians. You better believe it. Uh, and they came in and they, realized, and they were trying to tell the, the Thessalonians that Jesus had already come back. <laughs> it really kind of messed up their theology. So Paul uh, wrote 1 Thessalonians as a letter to the church to encourage them and address the error that those who had died were going to miss out on Christ's coming. So let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Then those who are still alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When we read about the future and how Christ is going to come back, it gives us hope for tomorrow. Because you can't have faith today if you don't have hope for tomorrow. What is hope, by the way? What is hope? Well, I want to say this. Um, hope is, is something that can be quite elusive. Uh, hope is a word that has lost its meaning. Uh, hope has been reduced to a, uh, to a, a long-shot desire. Oh, I hope, right? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's the idea that what I'm hoping for probably won't happen. Let's just take the lottery, for instance. Yes, don't play the lottery. It's a waste of money, a waste of time, right? Okay? But let's, let's just say you're talking to someone in the line for the Mega Millions. He's hoping to get the billion-dollar you know, lottery, right? And he said, hey, do you think you're going to win? His response is, I really hope so. Even though his odds are 1 in 292 million, all right? I really hope so. But we don't just use that hope for the lottery. You use it for a job that's not going, I hope my job gets better. Or, or we use it for uh, maybe a disease that's incurable. I hope my disease can, can be cured. Or, 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 or maybe <clears throat> you hope that you can pass the test that you didn't study for. A worldly hope is this. A worldly hope produces more fear than it does peace. Because it reminds you of what you don't have instead of the certainty of what you will have. A worldly hope produces fear because it reminds you of what you don't have instead of the certainty of what will happen. A biblical hope, in contrast, when we see the word hope in Scripture, is a confident expectation. The sure certainty that God, has, what he has promised in his word is true and has occurred and will, uh, and, and will happen. And with God, when he promises something, it's not one in 292 million. It's one in one. It's 100%. It's done already. Even if it's not done, it's as good as done. God's word does not return void. So biblical hope is a confident expectation. That the sure certainty that what God has promised in his word is true has occurred and will occur in accordance with God's word. So with that said, with hope, 
if we're out of hope for tomorrow, we need to grieve with hope, number one. We need to grieve with hope. We all grieve, right? We all grieve. Some of us are in different spots of grief or depths of grief. Grief is a powerful emotion caused by the loss of something or someone we hold dear. So whether it's a house that burnt down or a loved one that passed on, it can create grief. Grief can, uh, grief, uh, I often hear this, that when people are in grief, they say, you know, there's no wrong way to grieve. Oh yes, there is. We are to grieve in the Lord. Uh, We are to have a coexistence of grief and hope. As Paul told the Romans, we we consider the sufferings of this present day nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. The hope of Jesus allows us to take all of our grief and place it at the foot of the cross, entrusting him even when we don't see the answer. Yet, the Thessalonians were at risk of not having hope with their grief. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, again, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul's concern here isn't just doctrinal. I'm going to give you exactly how Jesus came back. His His concern was their heart. He was pastoral. We had brand new believers Four months into their faith, being told that they're in the day of the Lord, that, that Christ was coming back or had come back, and the people that died had missed it. And it caused them to have immense grief for loved ones that knew Jesus or, or, or that had come to know Christ and had died. And so he wrote them to not be uninformed. It's important that the truth of God and forms us in all things. Uh, I think one of the hindrances of the church today, of the church at large, is that many of us are walking in this Christian life uninformed. And so Paul is writing to them that you need to have hope in your grief. We grieve with hope. Why? Because Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. If you're to have lasting hope, you have to remember who you are and who you have hope in. Where does your hope come from? Is it a relationship? Is it your status? Is it your money? Is it, is it something else? Or is it King Jesus? We, if we, we can admit it this morning, can't we? That there's a war in our heart for what we put our hope in. Am I correct? That's normal. That's the fight of life, fighting out uh, and going through the day-to-day, relying on Jesus Christ in our weakness. Our hope must be found in Jesus no matter how we feel or how good our day is going, our circumstances are. Why do we have hope in Jesus? Because Jesus is God and specifically uh, Jesus is in control and he stood in your place by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. His death satisfied the demands of God's righteous judgment by paying in full penalty of our sin. God made him who knew no sin to be our sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is our hope, not just because he's a good moral example or he makes you feel good. He is our hope because of what he did and who he is. 
Because Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, he is our hope, and he's our hope through grief because we have hope that, our, that those who have passed on will rise from the dead. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus God will bring with him those who had fallen asleep. When Jesus comes back, the first to see Jesus are those who died in him. For those that knew Jesus and died, they will be the first to see him according to the scripture. This phrase, fall asleep, it points to the temporary nature of death. Now, how does this square away if you're sleeping when you, when you die? How does this square away when Jesus told the thief on the cross just before he died, today you'll be with me in paradise? Are we... Are we always alert after our death? And, are we, and if we're followers of Christ, are we instantly in the presence of God? And the answer is yes. What seems to be sleeping, it's a, it's a, it's a descriptive term of what our, our, our body, our corpse is doing. But our spirit is always active. Our spirit, when you're in Christ, will be in the presence of Christ. Not, not, not yet united with the body. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But those who are not in Christ... They are alert in a place so far away from God, in a place the Bible calls hell. So there's never a point where we're not alert after our death. And at the second coming, our spirits will be reunited with our bodies. Believers will be resurrected in glorified bodies. And later in the end times, those who are not in Christ will be raised and united with their bodies. And they will face everlasting judgment. Without Christ, there is no hope, but with Christ, death is not the final word. And I remember being at a family's funeral on my mom's side years ago, about 20 years ago, and they didn't know Jesus. Uh, they didn't know Jesus, and, and as they looked at their departed, for some of them as their grandpa, for some of them as their uncle, they just lost it. They literally took the picture off the stand and began to pass it and weep and mourn over the picture. For some people, they, they were holding on uh, to the dead body. For some, they, they wanted to jump into the casket almost. They didn't have any hope. They realized when that casket closed, it was the last time they were going to see him. But as followers of Christ, we don't mourn as those who do not have hope. In contrast, one year ago today, I didn't even plan this, today, my mom had her first major of seven strokes that would eventually take her life. When we did her funeral, it wasn't one, it was sorrowful because of the separation, we're going to miss her, we're going to miss the times we had in this earth. But indeed, when you tell somebody it's better now and you're healed, that's only true if you're in Christ. That's only true if you're in Christ. And the, the difference of seeing someone who had departed and was now with the Lord was so different. It was almost like a worship service, yet sorrowful and heavy and sad, but knowing that death is not the final Word, Amen, church? We don't live by faith today if you don't have hope for tomorrow. We must have hope, and we must grieve with hope. We grieve with hope. Secondly, if we're to have hope for tomorrow, we look ahead with hope. 
We can't forget about the second coming. It can't be a, a back-channel thought. It can't be just something that's uh, not, a, not a, a, a priority of our thinking. Now, before you travel to a new place, you often think of that new place uh, with an imagination of what it could look like, right? If you've never seen a place before, now let's say you're going to a new city or new town, maybe it's a theme park, for whatever reason, you, you begin to concoct a map. You begin to co- concoct an imagery of what it looks like, right? Have you ever done that? And then you travel to that place and you get kind of disappointed, right? Like, this is what this looks like? You, you build it up so much in your head. There's two things in, in, in particular that I was kind of disappointed in. I built, it, I built this up so much over the course of my life. One was Mount Rushmore, right? I got to Mount Rushmore, and it's, it's nice. I love Mount Rushmore. But, but when I got to Mount Rushmore, I'm like, these heads look kind of small, Right? They were just gigantic and big in my memory. Like, these things are kind of small. The other one was the Statue of Liberty. I couldn't believe it, you know? I was like, this thing is small. It's almost like the little trinkets, right? (laughs) And so, again, Statue of Liberty is wonderful to go and visit, right? But in my mind, it was gigantic. But yet it looked pretty small. Why? Because I built it up in my head. I think the reason why we have a hard time with heaven sometimes and thinking about the second coming is we have a hard time visualizing what it's going to look like. But I want you to rest assured no matter how you think of heaven or how awesome you can think of heaven, you're never going to be let down how awesome the second coming in heaven's going to be like. We need to look forward, look ahead with hope. And the awesome thing about 1 Thessalonians is we get a clear teaching. We get a clear teaching of, of what uh, the second coming of Christ is going to be about. So Paul's correcting this false teaching that those who died would miss the second coming. And now Paul goes into what I believe is some of the clearest teaching of Christ's second coming. And this is going to springboard us for next week. 1 Thessalonians 4.15. For we say this by word from the Lord. Okay, so we see this. He's getting a word from the Lord. Uh, He's getting revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will first rise. Then we who are still alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. So we're to look ahead. Why? Because we see it very clearly. Jesus is coming back. Let's not forget about that. We're going to get into some particulars here. Some of you might be like, oh, that's, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Listen, we can speculate all we want the particulars of how Jesus is coming back. But let's not miss this, that Jesus is coming back. He can come back at any moment, right? To have hope in the future, we must receive Jesus Christ as Savior. We must live our life in daily of knowing of Jesus, that he can return at any moment if our faith is to grow and increase. So how often do you think of Christ's second coming? How often? Daily? Once a week? Once a month? Whenever we preach about it? <laughs> how often do you think of the coming of Jesus Christ? This is how he'll return. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Then we who are still alive, we are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Paul gives a step-by-step process of how Christ will return. Verse 16, we see the first one. First, we see the Lord will descend from heaven. He will descend uh, with heaven, from heaven. The Lord will not send another messenger. He'll not send another angel like like you see in cults, right? Uh, The Lord is going to come himself. 
He's not going to give some kind of knowledge to some YouTuber that wants you to subscribe or buy his books, right? He, he's going to come himself. It's going to be unmistakable. What we see here, secondly, he's going to come from heaven. But secondly, we see uh, that it's, he's not going to be coming in quietly in a manger. He's going to come with a loud shout. The Greek word shout literally is a military command. It's going to be unmistakable for the followers of Christ. Oh, the world will be deceived, but the followers of Christ and those who, who died, they are going to rise up. And just like a military and, and the soldiers file in order, we will know our call. With a loud shout, the dead saints will rise and they will join the raptured saints. We'll get to that in a moment during the second coming to be joined together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that word caught up is really important. Underline it in your Bible. Highlight it in your phone. Write that down in your notes. That, that, that term caught up in the Greek is harpazo, which is the term we get rapture. You may have heard the rapture. The rapture is when the church, those who are, believe in Christ, right? There might be people in the church that don't believe in Christ, Right? Some people might show up to Kenosha City Church on a Sunday if there's rapture. I'm like, where is everybody at? Some of you might have a worship service and you didn't even know you didn't give your life to Christ, right? And so rapture means taking up those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus and taking those who had died as well. Uh, Greek harpazo is where we get the term rapture. Um, it means a forceful remover, a removal. Of, uh, that's, that, that was a common Greek word. The Latin translated, uh, translated the Greek uh, harpazo to rapturo, which is where we get in English, rapture, okay? So when someone says rapture's not in the Bible, they're not being very truthful with you, okay? Uh, you, can, you can get back to the Greek pretty easily with that. But people often use arguments of, that's not in our English Bibles. Our Bibles weren't written in English, all right? Our Bibles were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, all right? And so if you want to go back to the original languages, that's very, very important when people are making those arguments. So Paul writes this about this moment again to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will rise and the removal of God's people will start a worldwide judgment that will last for seven years called the tribulation. We're going to talk about when the rapture will happen. I'm Speaking from a pre-tribulational rapture. A pre-tribulational rapture means that rapture uh, is, uh, will occur before the judgments of the world. We'll talk more about that extensively next week, all right? Now, some of you might be like, oh, I think the rapture might happen in the middle of the judgments or after the judgments. Look, here's the deal. We don't believe that that is a, a first issue thing. You can disagree with that. We all need to agree that Jesus is coming back and come back at any moment, all right? If you don't agree with that, we're not on the same page, all right? But what I'm going to be preaching from is something that I spoke about in the Revelation series, is that believers uh, will be raptured uh, during the seven years of judgment uh, on the earth. God will take the church, he'll resurrect those who had died previously, and he'll take them up, and we will miss the seven years of judgment, all right? Christ will come at the sound of the trumpet. This isn't the same trumpet judgments we see in Revelation. This, a trumpet is, is used throughout Scripture uh, to proclaim a sound of battle. And again, if we're in disagreement of exactly where that rapture takes place, that's okay, as long as Christ can come back. But I'm going to be preaching from what I see in Scripture as a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. In fact, John MacArthur, he states it this way. He says, The Thessalonians fear that they were in the day of the Lord... And thus had missed the rapture, implied the rapture precedes the tribulation. 
the Thessalonians knew that the rapture came at the end of the tribulation, persecution would not have caused them to fear that they had missed it. In fact, that's what one of the false teachers said. Hey, you're under persecution. Uh, you've missed Jesus, all right? You're, you're, you've missed it, all right? Here's the biggest reason why Christ is going to take up the church before the worldwide judgment, I believe, is that Jesus will rescue us from wrath. First, Thess- First Thessalonians 5.9 says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word wrath is not an outburst of anger like we'd use in English today, but is a settled state of mind. Wrath is a necessary component of God's judgment against sin. When you're in Christ, you're shielded from specifically God's wrath because Jesus took God's wrath for you on the cross. If you place your faith in Christ, you are protected from the wrath of God. In this life, you're not appointed for the wrath of God, but his protection. Now, the purpose of taking the church before the last judgments of the earth is to keep us from experiencing that wrath during that seven years. Wrath is God's judgment upon a sinful world, which can include the day of the Lord when he comes back and all the way through the judgments of the course of the seven-year tribulation and eternal judgment after. Now, we are not to mistake in hardships and persecutions in life as God's direct wrath. When people are martyred for their faith or bad things happen, that is the result of a broken world that needs redeemed. All right? We don't blame God uh, for horrific things in this world. We cry out for God for our rescue of those things. Does that make sense? But what we have here in the seven-year tribulation, after the rapture, the taking up of God's church, is specifically the wrath of God being used as judgment against a sinful world. Now, wrath is not a popular idea uh, in today's postmodern mind, but that is a direct result of our misunderstanding of how grievous uh, our sin is to Almighty God. Sin is treason against Almighty God. When we decide that we want to sin, that is, do something contrary to God's will in our life, uh, his written will for our life, when we say, you know what, God, I know that your word says this, but I'm going I'm to do this anyway, right? I know I'm not supposed to talk bad about people, but I'm going to do it anyway. But God, I know I'm not supposed to steal this, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? But God, I know I'm not supposed to express myself this way, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know what we're saying to God? God, I know better. God, I, you are not as big of a God as the God I'm going to make in my own head. Ooh, that sounds awful, doesn't it? But that's what we do when we sin. When we willfully sin, we're saying, God, I know better. And that is the height of treason against God's holiness. That is why God's wrath is an appropriate response to that treason. And without a a response of wrath, then heaven would be nothing more than an earth 2.0. We don't want to go to heaven to experience brokenness. Heaven is a guarantee there'll be no more death, no no more pain, suffering. There'll be no more tears. When you place your faith in Christ, you have hope for a second coming that you are spared the wrath of God. We look ahead with hope. Third thing and final thing, and then we close. We comfort others with hope. If we have hope for tomorrow, we comfort others with hope. First Thessalonians gives us a command. First Thessalonians 4.18, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The purpose of the Signs of the Times message series is not to speculate in the obscure, but to be comforted in the clear. Jesus Christ is coming back. 
and he can and will at any moment. And we need to be on point and on mission, focused on the gospel. We need to lay down every distraction and hindrance. The world will get wild before Christ comes back. So we need to be driven to share Christ with anybody and everybody in our life. Because know this, we will stand before Lord God Almighty. There will be two things. Number one, will you know him? That's good. That's your ticket in, right? Yeah, have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? If you have, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. But secondly, uh, you're going to be given what's called heavenly reward. We, don't, we aren't given much uh, revelation on this. We're not given much uh, teachings on this in Scripture. But we see this clearly taught that we will get reward in heaven for how we live our life in obedience. And I want each and every one of you to stand before the Lord. And I want you to hear this, he said. Well done, my good and faithful servants. That needs to be our cry. So we won't hide under a rock and say, Jesus, will you just come back? But we will boldly go forward and reach this city, this region, our friends, our family, our baristas, our anybody and everybody who God divinely places in our life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. And when people meet Jesus, their lives are made new. Let's close this with comforting words from Jesus. John 14, 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again, take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Closing questions. This is our springboard to next week. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5 next week, okay? It's even crazier, all right? So for, where are you most susceptible in your faith? Where are you most susceptible right now? Number two, how often do you think of the second coming of Christ? My goal for every single one of us is every day. Come, Lord Jesus, every day. When you're like, it's not to abrogate your duties, what's going on now, okay? That's all I'm talking about. But when you live with the idea that Christ can come back today, oh, it will motivate you to live with the right priorities. Number three, who are you sharing Christ with? Number four, who do you need to encourage? And finally, are you ready to stand before the Lord? And Father, we pray that every single person in this room is ready to stand before you. God, I pray that you place this entire church on mission. I pray against distraction in our everyday life. God, I pray for those moments where we've just been scrolling for hours or we've been worrying or we've been hoping, but that hoping actually is just another word for worry. God, I pray, I pray that we place all those things at your feet. And I pray that as we see this culture have its ups and downs and some really dark moments, that we would never lose faith and that you are the answer and that you've entrusted us to be your hands and feet until you come back. So God, make us ready. As we continue to pray, I just want to pray for anybody in this room right now where you're uncertain that you're ready to stand before God. Did you know that you could be made ready right now? It's actually nothing that you do other than placing your full faith and trust in Christ alone. If you're uncertain that you're going to heaven today, I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ personally in your life right now. This is how you do it. You acknowledge that, Jesus made, that God made you. God made you to have a relationship with him. But your relationship was separated from Almighty God. How? 
by your sin. That is by the wrong that you've done in your life. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. And there's no amount of good works or religion or wishful thinking that can get you right with God. The only thing that can get you right with God is Jesus. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, stood in your place, saved you from your sins, took on the wrath of God to where he said it is finished on the cross. There's nothing else that you have to do other than placing your faith and trust in him alone. But listen, Jesus didn't stay dead because he's the perfect sinless sacrifice uh, and he satisfied the justice of God. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He's a living savior and he's coming back. So if you've never placed your faith and trust in him right now, will you just get right with God? We just tell Jesus, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm going to place my faith and trust in you now. We, we just talk to him. We receive what he did on the cross. Will you believe that he rose from the dead? In fact, if that's you this morning, with no one looking around, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand to indicate that, yes, today you're getting right with God. Yes, today you're placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. If that's you, no one looking around, on the count of three, raise that hand up high. One, two, three. Raise that hand up high and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Awesome. That's me pray. Father, I thank you for those that are being made right with you right now. And God, I pray for every single one of us that we live in expectation, in obedience, and Lord, that we would have joy in the ride. Thank you that you've come to prepare a place for us. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.